If you have your Bibles, if you'd like to turn or turn them on to uh, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew's Good News, uh, uh, chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 13 and we're going to go through to the end of the chapter. So it's Matthew's account of, or Matthew's continuation to the birth narrative that Luke started. When they had gone, and to find out who the they is, you'd have had to read the previous bit, and he's referring to the Magi, the, the wise men. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah. Weeping and great mourning. Rachel is weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Well, that's the rest of the sort of nativity story. We've, we've jumped through a little bit. So I dare say as the church starts to go to the season of Epiphany in a few weeks' time, we will hit the story of the wise men, the Magi. But we've leaped ahead a little bit uh, in the rest of the, uh, the nativity story and a bit that's not often told. Uh, but let's look at this, and you have to, uh, Matthew's gospel, the good news of Matthew was very much written for a Jewish audience. So Matthew quotes a lot Old Testament prophets, because he's trying to prove to the Jewish people that the, 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 the good news that he is telling them about was foretold through their holy scriptures, he says, look, the prophets have all pointed to this to happen. And so he keeps referring back to Old Testament prophets all the way. And so you have to sort of try and look at this passage, which is really difficult, unless, of course, you are Jewish. And I'm not aware that there's many people with Jewish heritage in our, in, in our congregation. But if you are, then try and put your Jewish eyes on and see it through that lens. There are times in life when you, you hear a story and you go, this sounds familiar. I sort of know this, 
but not in this context. And so, for example, the great Leonard Bernstein musical, West Side Story, tells the story, doesn't it, of two gangs in uh, New York, the Sharks and the Jets, and the love between uh, the man from one of those gangs and the girl from the opposing, Tony and Maria, from two opposite gangs. They hated each other. They fought continually. Uh, and it tells the story of their love, uh, the sort of secret love to start with, and eventually uh, the death of uh, Tony. And, of course, if you listen to that and uh, you uh, and you've got any understanding of English literature, alarm bells start to ring, don't they? And you say, I sort of know this story. Not with quite so much singing and dancing, but I sort of know this story. It's very similar to a classic piece of English literature, which is Romeo and Juliet. Of course it is. So Leonard Bernstein does that with his telling of West Side Story. And when we hear Matthew's gospel here, alarm bells are starting to ring with the Jewish audience. And they're starting to say, oh, I sort of know this story. Don't, don't I know this story? Haven't I heard this before? But anyway, I've got entitled this, Difficulties Do Not Derail the Plans of God. And I wonder, have you often uh, fretted about the plans that you seriously believe that God has for you in your life? Maybe your own personal life. Maybe you believe for the life of the church. Uh, They seem to be being derailed. Perhaps there's a delay or just complete inaction in them actually coming to pass. Well, fret ye not. It doesn't appear from this story that God is in any way worried about plans to derail his ultimate plan. And ultimately, it doesn't appear that God is in any way in a hurry. You see, we live in a society of instants, don't we? We live in a culture where we want everything like that now. Uh, uh, a month or so ago, Jackie, Stephen and I took a load of the deeper uh, a minibus full of them to go to Soul Survivor in Watford for an evening celebration. Uh, good news. Did you know Mike Pilavachi got an MBE in the New Year's Honours list for his work and services to young, young children? I thought that was amazing. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, we took them and we, before we went to the, the Soul Survivor celebration, we took them to McDonald's. And it seemed to be the, the McDonald's that everyone else that was going to the Soul Survivor celebration had also descended upon. Uh, and there was a bit of a queue. And of course, we were arriving with, uh, well, 17 of us and placed our order all in one go. So we were all, an order of 17 from McDonald's. And we were sitting down waiting for our order to be brought to, I think, uh, our table. And actually, we were starting to get a little bit frustrated that it wasn't coming out quickly. But the reality was, if we were in any other restaurant, we'd have been waiting a lot longer for our food. But we were in McDonald's. And the expectation in McDonald's is that the food arrives immediately. You don't want to wait for your fast food. The definition of fast food is that it's fast. And we weren't. We were waiting. And we were a little bit, oh, come on. This is, where's our food? Getting hungry. And we've got to be there. And... and, and that's the culture that we live in, isn't it? 
It's the culture and the society that we live in. It's the now society. Everything has got to be now. We don't want to wait. Everything has to happen instantaneously. That's not what we're getting from this story, though, is it? This story, if we think of it, God doesn't seem to be in a hurry. You know, we set out plans and and long-term plans and and things like that, but our long-term plans pale into insignificance compared to God's long-term plan. You know, this, this isn't even the end of God's plan here. This is right at the beginning of Jesus' life. But this bit of the plan that is kicking into action now happened, it's starting to take place thousands of years earlier when God initiated his plan of redemption. When, when Adam and Eve made their rebellion, God's, God's plan kicked into action. He had the plan immediately. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this. It, there you are. It's, I know what I'm doing. God doesn't seem to be in a hurry. He doesn't seem to live in the McDonald's culture of, right, it's going to happen. It's going to happen now. I'm going to sort it. It takes thousands of years to cut, kick into place. And even now, this is the birth of Jesus. Well, maybe a little bit later. It's still got another 30 odd years to roll to before it really comes to fruition. You see, God's even God's the the nativity story tells us the fact that God became a man, that God is not in a hurry because the baby doesn't save us. The adult baby saves the one that saves us. God still allowed this baby to grow up. And even then he's, you know, our, our, our understanding is that he allowed this baby to become sort of 30 before he really started to, to have any form of ministry. So he even went with, with the baby Jesus. He didn't seem to be in a hurry to get the baby to start doing ministry. God's not in a hurry. So this passage does help us date it. Now we know that uh, it's been for sort of our understanding for a while that the year zero isn't probably the year zero the year zero is probably an inaccurate guess because what this, this story does is sort of tries to date it because it gives us a point in history, the death of King Herod the Great. And we sort of know when Herod the Great died. Herod the Great was a uh, power-hungry, megalomaniac, evil, tyrannical leader who was a puppet leader put in place by Rome, allowed to rule, but really under the authority of Rome. He wasn't very nice. He was always deeply suspicious that someone was going to try and become king instead of him. And of course, the, the main characters who are likely to become king in his place are his children. So he had a few of those killed just to you know, eliminate that prospect. Not all of them, clearly, but he had some of them killed because he wasn't a very nice chap. But we do know that Herod the Great died in about 4 BC. So the fact that Herod died in 4 BC tends to suggest that the year zero was a fairly inaccurate stab in the dark at trying to get the birth of Jesus, you know, the year of Jesus. But that doesn't really matter. He wasn't really born on Christmas Day either. I'm bursting all your bubbles this morning, aren't I? I'm telling you, everything about that was wrong. 25th of December and the year zero. No, none of that's right. 
But and anyway, so what we, the, the Magi had come and seen Jesus, and, and bear, considering Herod's reaction, it's sort of safe to say that Mary and Joseph had set up home in Bethlehem and had been there for a while since the time of the um, census. They seemed to have settled uh, and, and were living there because uh, Jesus was probably between one and two years old when this starts to take place. The Magi come and see him. Uh, we sort of make that guess because what does Herod do? Remember the story? What's Herod's response when he hears that the Magi have come to worship the new king? He gets into a little bit of a, uh, a bad, grumpy mood and decides to have them all what? Killed. Well done. He has them all killed. He says, I'm going to eliminate all of them. And, and there's the prophetic uh, 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 account there in uh, Jeremiah. Uh, and he in Jeremiah is speaking about the weeping and great mourning about Rachel. And Rachel, it was the favorite son, if you remember, favorite wife, even if you remember of Jacob. And Rachel was buried where? Good guess, Mark. Just outside Bethlehem. Uh, it's accounted, it is actually accounted in the Bible. And so Rachel is buried just outside Bethlehem. This happens in Bethlehem. The slaughter of the innocents, as we know. So Herod comes and has the uh, baby population, baby male population under the age of two, completely and utterly eliminated. Now, if you were a Jew... What part of this story is starting to resonate and go, oh, this sounds a bit familiar. I've heard this before. You know, it's the, it's the Romeo and Juliet West Side Story analogy. They've sort of heard this before. Because it's their story. It's the story of the Jews. It's the story of Moses, isn't it? Moses, when he was a baby, was trying to the, the, the Pharaoh, the tyrannical leader of the day, wanted to eradicate the Jewish population, and by doing that, he was going to wipe out the baby boys under the age of two, therefore getting rid of the population. Boom. So it's part of their story. The Jews are listening to this and going, "This is our story story. We recognize this. So Matthew is deliberately emphasizing these points because he's trying to tell the Jewish population something about the nature of Jesus and who he is. So back to the story. Joseph may not have been Jesus's biological father, but he was his legal parent and he had the legal responsibility of protecting the son and the family. And he, that was his job. He had that responsibility. And so here we see Joseph's second and third uh, dream, angelic visitation. Mary seems to get them in person. Joseph seems to be the daydreamer. Uh, that's just the way. That, and I think what it shows is that God communicates with people in different ways. Joseph visits God speaks to Joseph through his dreams. Interestingly, that, isn't it? Because there just happens to be another Joseph in the Bible that God communicates through dreams. And Joseph communicate, is communicated through dreams. And, and, Jesus, uh, and the angel visits him and says, get up and go. Get up and go. And the way Matthew tells it is if J Joseph wakes up wakes up Mary, wakes up the baby, you know, and let's face it, 
is not going to be popular with the wife waking up the sleeping baby and saying, we're going, get up, we're off. There's complete obedience. And, and I think when you listen to Matthew's account of the story in the nativity, in particular the way it connects with J- Joseph, and Luke's account of the nativity in the way that he connects with Mary, you start to understand why God, the Father, decided to choose this man and this woman to be his parents. Because their response is one of, yes, Lord, whatever, complete and utter obedience. So, God doesn't seem to be in a hurry. He gets up and, and, and he says, right, go to uh, Egypt. I want you to get out because Herod is after you. And so they go to Egypt. So here's the news, folks. Jesus was a refugee. He was in someone else's country. He's escaped from his own through, because of persecution and he finds himself in a different country. Do you know what? In the way that the world is becoming so protectionist in its, in, in its attitude and countries are becoming so protectionist nowadays, if Jesus was born today, he probably wouldn't have been allowed in our country. Because we, become, we want to close our borders and stop people coming in. Jesus probably wouldn't even be allowed there. And yet Egypt welcomed him. And uh, Egypt at the time had some small communities of Jewish people that were still there. So he'd have probably gone to one of those communities and lived out some time there. We don't know how long he was there for, but we do know in about 4 BC, Herod died. Uh, and he had, uh, what happened is because Rome didn't really like the way Herod was ruling because he was so tyrannical and he had too much power. They thought, we're going to split this up. What we're going to do is we're going to divide up this kingdom into smaller areas. And uh, we're going to give each area to a to different one of Herod's sons. Uh, and so they did just that. The area to the south where Bethlehem and Jerusalem was, they gave to this guy who I name I can never quite pronounce. Uh, uh, Archelaus or Archelas or Archie for short. They gave it to him. But the problem with him was he was just as tyrannical as his dad. And then they gave two northern territories to two of other Herod's sons. One of them was also a Herod which appears a bit later in the story. There's another Herod a bit in the Bible, uh, and that's the one that gets one of the northern areas. And so God says, don't go to, back to Bethlehem because there's, there's an equally nasty, tyrannical leader there who's not going to be happy having someone who's prophetically being called the king uh, living in his area. So they decide at that point to go to Nazareth. And we see this story then of Jesus settling in Nazareth. Jesus, Mary and Joseph settling in Nazareth. And uh, again, fulfilling a prophecy, which interestingly, you cannot find in the Bible. So we're not entirely sure why Matthew decides to put that there, whether that was just uh, a prophetic utterance that was never recorded in scripture, that he would be a Nazarene. Uh, but it's, you can't find that in the Old Testament. Or it may have just been common uh, understanding that he would come from Nazareth. Uh, and um, anyway, so he's there. And that's where we, we see the story. So from this, God doesn't seem to be particularly bothered by their attempts to derail his plan. 
And what God's doing is putting into place a plan of deliverance. And let's, as Matthew starts to tell his story, the Jewish population is starting to hear their story retold in a different way. They start to see a baby who is a threat. And so the ruler of the day has the babies eliminated, the male boys eliminated. He then sees a baby come, uh, uh, a baby come out of Egypt. That's what Matthew is starting to tell. So the baby was a threat. The, boy, the male boys under the age of two were eliminated. Matthew then goes on to say this baby comes out of, out of Egypt. And then Matthew goes on, which we won't go into, but Matthew goes on to sort of tell the story of Jesus going through the water of baptism. So he goes through the water, he goes up on a mountain where he delivers the law. It's the story of Moses. Matthew, in the beginning of his gospel, is starting to tell the story of Moses through the person of Jesus to say this is the long-awaited deliverer. Moses was the great deliverer of the Jewish people. He set them free from slavery. And of course, God's plan of salvation came from his chosen people. And their purpose was to be the people through which they, God brought salvation to the world. That was their destiny. That was why they were the chosen people, the one that God invested in. Why? Because through them, salvation was to come. And Matthew's telling the Jewish population, it has, and it's him. He is the fulfillment of everything that we were supposed to be. It is him. It is a plan that God has had in uh, mind for years and decades and centuries and millennia. And it's finally coming to pass. God is not in a hurry. God seems to know what he's doing. And I think one of the things we can learn from this is to live in waiting and in waiting God is still working you know the the world had been waiting for millennia for this child and we still have a lot more waiting to go there's still another 30 odd years of waiting before it really comes to fulfillment God is not in a hurry he knows what is Best And he, we, we sang about some of those God's faithfulness and good, good father, all of those things. And they are, they're so true. But what we want is God's faithfulness and God's goodness. And we want it now. But we don't want the uncomfortableness that goes with it. You see, this wasn't an easy story. We skipped through it so quickly. But it's a story about a family who's told, get up in the middle of the night, leave everything and go. It's a story about complete obedience, but with it comes huge sacrifice. You know, you, we sit there and we read that, but imagine that tonight while you're asleep at two o'clock in the morning, you're woken up by an angel and the angel says, leave everything, get your family and go and go to France now. 
that requires sacrifice. Well, not that it's just because it's, it's France, because we've nothing against the France. That's the, not the issue. It's that it's a different country that you're leaving everything. Go now. Leave everything. There is sacrifice with that. Obedience comes at the cost of sacrifice in this story. God is not in a hurry. God seems to know best. And sometimes we get so frustrated with the inactivity, what what perceives to be inactivity, that uh, we get frustrated in the situation. I remember uh, when I was, before I was ordained, as many of you know, I was a police officer in London. And one of the things that I specialized was in public order. And in large, I remember situations, large, huge demonstrations in London, and you'd get them every now and again, where London is, the central London is taken over by people protesting about anything and everything. Uh, standing on cordons, and cordons are the least favorite parts of the job when you're just standing on a junction of a road stopping people going down the road. It's not exciting. It's not glamorous, especially if it's raining. Seeing stuff happen and you go, oh, we just need to do this. If we just do this, that solves that problem and it will be the end of the, the, the matter. But what we've got, we've got a complete lack of perspective. You see, somewhere... In those days, it was at Scotland Yard. That doesn't even exist any longer. In the, in the, uh, uh, the old Scotland Yard, doesn't exist. There was a room full of television screens that had CCTV cameras being pumped into it. Had heli telly from the Met's helicopters being so they could see the streets of London, an aerial view. It had intelligence from intelligence sources constantly coming into it. And the understanding was the people that were running the event, the Gold Commander, had an absolute sort of aerial view of what was happening. So my, my desire to want to happen now, for something to happen in front of me, and to me, if we just do this, it's going to solve the problem. And they're going, no, you don't see the big picture. You have no real understanding what's going on. I do, because I got all of these different sources of information. And we are sometimes like that in the way that we view God. So now I want it now. I want this to happen. God, if you just do this now, then everything's going to be perfect. And God's going, I, I, I've got a bigger picture here. You know, I can see everything what's going on and I will not be hurried. There's an old saying. I don't, it used to be a joke. I don't think it is a joke because I don't think it's, A, I don't think it's funny. And B, I don't think it's true. Um, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. So you did laugh. I don't think it's actually true. Uh, and, and, and I because partly I think that in communicating that, you communicate that God doesn't want conversation and he, he really does want conversation. So he loves to hear what your plans are. He may not agree with them. He may not say, let's talk. He may probably say, let's talk about this. Let's have a chat. Because I mean, when you bring your plans to God, he's not going to say, oh, I, I, you know, that's good. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> I'm really glad I put you into this. But he's I say, I'm really glad that's on your heart. I'm really glad you've got a, a, a heart for that. That's not quite where I'm going at the moment. So let's talk about this. So I, I don't think God laughs at you, but I, I think God does sort of want to converse with you in those conversations.
God in this story is fulfilling the purpose of his people to bring salvation to the world, not just through the people group of Israel, but for all of us. Through Jesus, Jesus is the new Moses, the new deliverer, the great deliverer, the one who will bring salvation, not just to the people of Israel, but to the whole world. He was the one that will lead people from slavery should they choose to follow him. You know, all the Israelites that chose to not follow Moses, although there aren't any recorded, but should they have not have followed Moses, they would still be in slavery in Egypt. You had to choose to follow the deliverer. This is the father's plan. The enemy is and has continually tried to derail it. This does not worry God. Because God's purposes and plans cannot be derailed. They cannot be halted. They can be frustrated. Yes, perhaps. But God is still in control and he will bring about his purposes. He will bring about his plans. But it's in his time and not mine. We need to learn from this. He is in control. And I think he's in need of more Marys and Josephs. Luke and Matthew tell us about Mary and Joseph and both of their responses are, yeah, Lord, I'm in, I'm in all in, completely. I don't know how, doesn't matter how stupid I look, how silly I look, how embarrassed I'm going to be, whatever the cost, whatever the sacrifice, I'm in. And, and, and God is still looking for more Marys and Josephs. People who say, whatever you want, 100%, I'm not holding anything back however long it takes, I'm in. So are you. And so are you. Are you prepared to be in the long haul? I, uh, I go to a mentoring once every two months with a guy in London. And one of the things that he said at my last mentoring uh, session was he reckons on average, it takes about five years for contact with people, for them to start, for them to come to a position of coming to faith. Five years. Now, we all know that there's exceptions to that rule. Some people just hear the gospel once and that's it. But when you hear things like that, you start to think we're in the long haul here. We're in a long game. And that means we've got to have to keep working, keep working, keep the invitation level high. Because if it takes five years, then they've got to keep coming back for five years somehow to have that contact. Keep going, keep having contact. That's God's plan. And he's looking for the obedience in his people to keep pursuing it. Let's stand. The Christmas season is just a season that reminds us of, of God's heart for humanity and his desire to have men and women who say, yes, Lord. 
And he's still looking for that today, still looking for men and women who just say, yes, Lord. So at the end of this year, as we journey into next, you know, I want to be one of those people that say, yes, Lord, I'm in this and, and in it for the long haul. I don't want to seek the immediates. I don't want, I don't want a fast food kingdom. I don't want my, the kingdom of God to look like McDonald's. I want it to look like Michelin star food that's been lovingly prepared and crafted and taken time. Let's pray. I'm just going to give you the opportunity now uh, in the quiet to perhaps have a time just to say to the Lord, Lord, I've, I've lived in a culture of immediacy and I want to turn away from that. I want to play the long game and I'm in this for the long game and I'm in. Whatever the cost, whatever the sacrifice, I'm in. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here with us this morning. We pray, Lord, that as we've done business with you, if any of us have responded to your call this morning, that you seal that in our hearts and challenge us. Hold us to account on that, we pray. And, and, and Spirit, we give you permission to hold us to account on these promises that we make, these decisions that we make now. In your name. Amen. Well, our service is going to come to a close in a minute with a blessing, but there's tea and coffee at the back. And, the, and there's still, it's not too late. Christmas lasts for 12 days. So still mince pies. <laughs> please, 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 may there not be any by the end of today. You know, because I want to be like the co-op who've already got their Easter eggs in. <laughs> The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit rest upon you and remain with you always. Amen. So go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. Amen. Please do drink tea and coffee and eat mince pies. <laughs>